Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Airwave, a student-led anesthesia podcast for medical students. My name is Diljeet Gill, and I'm a third-year medical student at McMaster University. Joining me today is my fellow co-host making their debut on the podcast. This is someone who has been an integral member behind the scenes for a while now. It's with pleasure I introduce Cody. Thanks, Dil, for the excellent introduction. My name is Cody, and I'm a third-year medical student at McMaster University. Today, we will be talking about a general approach to hypotension and anesthesia, key physiological concepts, and of course, apply what we have discussed to a clinical case. This is one of my personal favorite topics, and we've got lots of great content to run through. It's sure to be a high-pressure episode, no pun intended. You mean low pressure, right? Right? Unless you're talking about my blood pressure when I'm managing hypotension. And yes, the differential can be daunting, and to manage it appropriately and in a timely fashion requires a systematic approach, but that's what we're here for. Before we jump in, as always, this podcast reflects our own views and not necessarily those of our institution. I'd also like to emphasize that the Airwave podcast is not for medical advice, just good old-fashioned medical education. So in today's podcast, we're going to walk through the following. One, a review on the physiology of blood pressure, two, a general approach to diagnosing and managing hypotension in the operating room, and three, and most importantly, applying all of this to our clinical scenario. Now let's jump into the physiology of blood pressure. Blood pressure consists of cardiac output, which can be divided into stroke volume and heart rate, multiplied by heart rate. This is all multiplied by the systemic vascular resistance. Furthermore, stroke volume is influenced by preload, afterload, and contractility. That's great. Now that we know its components, let's talk about how it can actually be monitored in the operating room. Intraoperatively, blood pressure monitoring can be achieved via non-invasive or invasive measurement techniques. So non-invasive monitoring is typically done using a brachial blood pressure cuff. And when using one, it's always important to remember to ensure that the cuff is appropriately sized. Invasive monitoring, on the other hand, can be achieved using an intra-arterial catheter, which allows for continuous monitoring that is sensitive to acute changes in pressure. So with our monitors, what pressure should we aim for? That's a great question. Although there's no universally accepted definition for intraoperative hypotension, a drop in systolic blood pressure below 80 millimeters of mercury or a 20% drop from baseline pressures can be used. If you recall from our previous episodes, as a rule of thumb, we typically target a mean arterial pressure above 65 millimeters of mercury. It is to note that the target of MAP greater than 65 comes from the ICU literature. Specifically, it comes from two retrospective studies that looked at mortality outcomes on the basis of time spent below different threshold values of MAP during the first 24 or 48 hours of sepsis resuscitation. And so, This context is slightly different than that of the operating room, but we target a map of 65 all the same. Okay, now that we have our targets and how to measure blood pressure, let's go over a general systematic assessment that can be used in the OR to evaluate and manage intraoperative hypotension. First and foremost, verify the accuracy of the blood pressure monitor. Our equipment like us is not perfect and is a cause for a fault from time to time. If using an invasive arterial catheter, Check the position to ensure it is in the level with the heart. You'll be surprised at how often you see an aberrant blood pressure reading, only to see that the arterial line transducer is on the floor. 
Likewise, you may get an erroneous arterial line reading if it is in the same side as a blood pressure cuff and the blood pressure cuff is inflating. Additionally, without going into the details of the arterial line waveform dampening, if the arterial catheter is placed within the lumen of an artery that is obstructed by atheroma or thrombus, which you may see in vasculoplasts, the reading will be inaccurate and you can get a sense of this by looking at the morphology of the arterial line tracing. Now, once you're convinced that this is a true episode of hypotension, it is important to assess the other vitals. Start by checking to see if there is an associated change in heart rate or oxygen saturation. Also, assess the other monitors, including the ECG tracing and temperature. If the surgery warranted the placement of a Foley, you can also check the patient's urine output. As a neat pearl that one of my preceptors once told me, and as a direct application of the importance of looking at the other monitors, if the patient becomes hypotensive and their end tidal CO2 also decreases without any changes to their ventilatory parameters, then this suggests a decreased cardiac output as your cause of hypotension. This is because less blood is reaching the lungs, therefore less CO2 is being released from the body by gas exchange in the lungs. Therefore, you should think more along the lines of decreased heart rate or stroke volume as your cause of hypotension. Thirdly, determine the status of the procedure and assess the environment. For example, are you post-induction? What is the patient positioning? And is there uncontrolled blood loss? These are all important considerations that can impact the hemodynamic status of the patient, and thus it is important to be aware of what is going on around you. Fourthly, consider the patient's past medical history and medications. Are they on any medications that may be influencing this? Do they have any medical conditions that may predispose them to hypotension? Finally, determine the need for intervention, which will vary depending on the context, from readjusting the patient positioning to providing fluids or even administering vasopressors. Okay, so to summarize our approach, confirm the accuracy of the reading, assess the other vitals and markers of cardiac output, frame your differential with the intraoperative course and the patient's medical comorbidities, and decide how you will intervene. Now, let's use this approach with a clinical case. A 52-year-old man has been diagnosed in the emergency department with appendicitis. After consultation with the general surgeon on call, it was decided that a laparoscopic appendectomy should be performed. The patient has no significant past medical history. He has had no previous operations or anesthetics, nor had a family history of family history of problems in anesthesia. No allergies to medications, no smoking, and consumes two alcoholic beverages a week. The patient has been NPO since last night and has vomited two times this morning. He has no signs of a difficult intubation. Okay, so now that we've prepared our case, let's go into the next case points. So first, the patient enters the operating room and their blood pressure is 118 over 78. They have a heart rate of 110 beats per minute, oxygen saturations of 99%, and respirate of 18. The patient then undergoes induction with fentanyl, propofol, and rocuronium. The patient is successfully intubated, and sevoflurane is being used for maintenance. Blood pressure measurement is repeated, and the blood pressure is now 80 over 60, with a heart rate of 112. What is your general assessment? Of course, let's fall back on our trusty systematic approach that we were highlighting earlier. So one, 
Verifying the measurement, we know the blood pressure cuff is on the patient's right arm as we can visualize it and it is inflating with no issues. The cuff is also appropriately sized. Two, we already assess the vitals and notice the patient is hypotensive with no associated change in heart rate. Three, now looking at the status of the surgery, we are post-induction, which is known to be a common hypotensive event as a patient has just been given intubating doses of medications that are known to decrease blood pressure. And four, when considering the patient's past medical history, the patient is a young, healthy male and does not have any other medical conditions. He is NPO and was previously vomiting, and such, his intravascular volume may be depleted. Additionally, our patient with appendicitis may be having a systemic inflammatory response as part of an active infection, which may contribute to the decrease in systemic vascular resistance and contractility that is caused with induction agents and volatile anesthetics. Now that we honed in and that likely the cause of hypotension is the induction, what is your differential? Let's think back to our equation for blood pressure. Blood pressure equals cardiac output multiplied by systemic vascular resistance. Cardiac output equals heart rate times stroke volume. Stroke volume is dependent on preload, afterload, and contractility. Our patient just received a large dose of propofol during induction, which is a known potent vasodilator. That will cause a reduction in systemic vascular resistance. Additionally, it has an effect on reducing cardiac contractility, which will decrease stroke volume. As we just mentioned, his stroke volume will also be decreased due to the lower preload in the context of his relative hypovolemia. Shifting to a broader differential, let's go over a few other causes for a decrease in cardiac contractility or systemic vascular resistance. Number one, anesthetic agents such as propofol, volatile anesthetics, and benzodiazepines can all lead to a decreased cardiac contractility and decreased systemic vascular resistance. Number two, cardiac medications. Things that we think about are possibly beta blockers, calcium channel blockers, which will lead to decreased heart rate and contractility. And thirdly, cardiac dysfunction. If, for example, the patient were to have a uh, post-induction myocardial infarction. Perfect. So now you have expertly managed the patient's post-induction hypotension with bolus doses of phenylephrine and giving the patient a 500 milliliter bolus of plasma light. The surgery proceeds and the surgeon now has inserted all of their laparoscopic ports and has insufflated the abdominal cavity and is proceeding to visualize the appendix. After a few minutes, the patient's blood pressure declines to 98 over 65 with a heart rate of 57. What is your differential? What is your approach? As always, going back to our handy general assessment. So one, blood pressure measurement is verified, the cuff and the circuit is intact. You cycle the cuff again to get an updated reading after noticing the last reading was from about two minutes ago. Two, we notice the patient is mildly hypotensive and has an associated drop in heart rate compared to before. The remainder of the vitals are stable. You remember that the surgeon has just insufflated the patient's abdomen and can visualize, you can visualize the distension. Three, evaluating the status of the surgery, abdominal pneumoperitoneum was achieved via insufflation of the abdominal cavity moments ago, and now the surgical staff is starting to work away through the laparoscopic ports. Patient position has not changed and is currently in slight reverse Trendelenburg. A quick glance at the suction canisters reveals minimal serosanguinous fluid. And four, 
past medical history is non-contributory. Now let's fall back on our equation. Let's think back to our equation of blood pressure. And we remember that stroke volume is dependent on preload, afterload, and contractility. Recalling the physiology associated with creating a pneumoperitoneum via abdominal insufficiation with CO2, remember that stretching, the stretching of the peritoneum can increase vagal tone. The parasympathetic effect of increased vagal tone will cause a reduction in heart rate, which would in turn decrease cardiac output and subsequently blood pressure. However, we must remember that the increased abdominal pressure will counteract this by increasing the systemic vascular resistance due to the initial compression of the abdominal aorta. Additionally, a pneumoperitoneum makes mechanical ventilation more difficult, often requiring higher airway pressures, which in turn can contribute to a further decrease in venous return to the heart, aka the preload. This is a complicated process, which is why insufflation can have varied effects on the cardiovascular system. Looking on the flip side, when a patient has low systemic vascular resistance, since after all, this is an approach to hypotension, let's think of the differential for decreased systemic vascular resistance. This can include 1. Anesthetic agents, such as volatile gases, opioids, benzodiazepines, nitrates, calcium channel blockers, ACE inhibitors, and alpha adrenergic agents. 2. Sympathetic block. So this can be via neuraxial anesthesia, for example, with a high spinal. Three, shock, sepsis, anaphylaxis, adrenal insufficiency are all examples. And four, endothelial dysfunction and release of nitric oxide, uh, as can be seen in patients with cirrhosis. The surgery continues to progress, but progress. Now, but now the surgeon mentions to you that they are witnessing a bit more bleeding than usual. You observe the blood pressure cuff inflating, and the reading has now declined to 95 over 67, with a heart rate of 95. What is your general assessment? Of course, let's fall back on our general assessment. Verify, number one, verifying the measurement. We can look towards the screen to visualize the amount of bleeding and look at the amount of blood being suctioned. Number two, as we just mentioned, the patient is hypotensive. Heart rate is stable, and the, remi- the remainder of the vitals are unchanged. Number three, Let's look at the status of the procedure. We are midway through the surgery and the patient was previously stable until the bleeding arose. Okay, so as we think back to our equation for blood pressure, we recall blood pressure is equal to cardiac output multiplied by systemic vascular resistance. Cardiac output is further divided into heart rate multiplied by stroke volume. And as Cody mentioned earlier, stroke volume is dependent on preload, afterload, and contractility. So now that we've honed in, the likely cause of hypotension is the patient's volume status. We know that the patient was NPO prior to this procedure and that they are bleeding currently. Additionally, they had also previously been vomiting. This would result in a decreased preload, which would decrease stroke volume, cardiac output, and ultimately blood pressure. Looking at all patients, the differential for decreased preload includes, number one, hypovolemia. If the patient's MPO status, vomiting, diarrhea, and blood loss all can be all factors playing into hypovolemia. Number two, an inferior vena cava obstruction, such as causes can be insufflation, a gravid uterus, or surgical retraction. And number three, an elevated central venous pressure and intrathoracic pressure, and this can be caused by high airway pressures, hyperinflation, or an obstructive shock by a pulmonary embolism. 
Fortunately, the surgical team was able to rapidly isolate the bleeding vessel and put a stop to the bleeding. Fast forwarding the surgery and successfully, the patient is extubated and swiftly brought over to the PACU. Awesome. What a great case. We really hit on a lot of points there. Let's go over a quick summary of what we just learned. This boils down to our initial assessment and diagnostic approach of hypotension. So with our initial assessment, we have starting with the general assessment. One, verify accuracy of the measurement. So for example, arterial line transducer positioning, waveform, etc. Two, assess the other vitals, a change in heart rate, saturations, etc. Three, check the status of the surgery or anesthetic. So are we post-induction? What is the patient positioning? Is there arterial clamping? Is there bleeding? Four, Consider the patient's past medical history and medications that they may be taking. Five, determine the need for intervention. Do we need to give our patient pressors, fluids, blood transfusions? And here's a summary of, our, of your diagnostic approach to hypotension, and it is the following. Number one, decrease contractility. The question you ask yourself is what's possibly causing our heart not to contract as well? These could be the anesthetic agents which would be the long list of induction agents that we possibly could have given. Cardiac dysfunction, which could be possibly caused by a cardiogenic shock. Number two, decreased systemic vascular resistance. The question we ask ourselves is what's causing our blood vessels to relax? So some of the causes could be anesthetic agents, volatile anesthetics, opioids, benzodiazepines. And then we think about a sympathetic block, which could be the case when we're giving neuroaxial anesthesia. And then we think about distributive shock. So this could be a septic shock or anaphylactic shock. Number three, we think about impaired venous return. So what is limiting blood return to the heart? So some of the causes could be hypovolemia, which could be caused by bleeding, MPO status, vomiting, or diarrhea. Inferior vena cava obstruction, which could be caused by increased abdominal pressure. Central venous pressure and intrathoracic pressure issues. So this could be caused by a high airway pressure or obstructive shock caused by PE. And that brings us to the end of our podcast. We hope that you'll be able to apply what you have just learned today to consider the general assessment and diagnostic approach to hypotension in the operating room under anesthesia. As always, we would like to thank our resident content editor, Dr. Alexa Caldwell, and big thanks to Dr. Cordovani for his continued support. Also, make sure to check out our website for the show notes, tweet at us on our Twitter page, at Airwave Podcast, and follow us on Instagram, at Airwave Podcast, for any questions or suggestions. And until next time, keep working hard, stay healthy and safe, take some nice deep breaths, and count backwards from 10. <laughs>